Well, the anticipation is building. There they go. It won't be long now. The wait is nearly over. Somebody said the other day, well, if I get a tree now, I'll only have it for 10 days before Christmas. And I was like, no, you're longer than that. I was like, wait a second. You're right. It's only 10 days away. And today is the day. Uh, we're coming up on it. And for some of you, that's sending you into like panic mode. Ah, I got stuff to do. Um, shopping, preparations, but for most of those people who just left the, uh, the room, Christmas cannot come soon enough. And uh, I know there's some teachers in the room as well that if you can make it through this Friday, yeah, you're feeling pretty good. Well, whatever your situation, whether you're feeling stressed or, uh, or excited, again, we're inviting you just to take, to take a breath here on these Sunday mornings as we gather on Wednesday nights, we've had some tremendous gatherings on Wednesday nights. If you haven't yet been a part, the last one is this Wednesday, and I'd invite you to, to come and do that. I, I, just, I did want to tag on to a couple things that Becky mentioned. Really, this, uh, this today is kind of the, really the, the last day for um, the gifting tree. We'll, we'll still be able to to, to take and kind of disperse some giving next Sunday if, if you need to do that. But one of the things that we're giving to is foster kids, especially uh, adolescent, junior high and high school foster kids from Santa Barbara County. And I think most of you heard this story, but um, these are kids that most of them are in group homes. And sadly, most of the group homes are outside of Santa Barbara County. These, these are kids that that don't, there's not room, there's not homes, enough space for them in their own hometowns. And so they've been kind of shipped out all around the state. And when I heard about this, I just thought, well, we, we got to come alongside this. And so they're trying to get um, gift cards out to each of these kids that they can have a Christmas. And so that's part of it. We're also providing some gifts for kids in our, our, our own community, both here in our church and, and in our neighborhoods. So today, pay close attention to that. And then the second one that uh, Jeremy asked me to remind everybody is for the Christmas. Uh, next Sunday, we want to have kind of a worship choir up here. And, and they're actually going to practice right after the service today for a few moments and then potentially more during the week. But if you're interested in being a part of that choir, do that uh, even today, right after the service. So anyway, we're getting ready. And, uh, and we're inviting each of us to do more than just hang lights, which I still have to do, and do some shopping and baking, but again, by creating some space in our hearts and minds and souls, really, for God to come and just for him to find some, some, some room there uh, for him to invade and, and to fill. And again, our theme, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks, our theme this year is celebrate, there it is. And we've been, uh, again, talking about celebration, not in terms of uh, parties or presents or peppermint mochas. Amen. <laughs> Love the peppermint mocha. Come on. Can I get some? No, nothing. Okay. Um, I love these things, but this is not the celebration that we're talking about, all right? Enjoy all the peppermint mochas that you want. Uh, to your heart's content, but this is not the kind of celebration that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of celebration that means practicing or participating, kind of involving ourselves in this, uh, the reality that God has come, 
living in such a way that, that reveals this truth, that, that God has come, that he came as a baby, that he's coming even now in the presence of his Holy Spirit, and that he'll come again someday to gather his people and to set all things right. So to celebrate Advent is to live in ways, again, that reflect and proclaim this truth that we have, many of us, staked our lives upon, that God has come, that God comes. So again, the first week we were reminded of the importance of being ready, just a quick review. Ready or not, we said, remember Advent teaches us that here God comes and we are to live our lives uh, according to Scripture, actively and attentively looking for the coming of Christ, to live in such a way that demonstrates our urgency and our anticipation. And last week we heard about how um, our challenge was to be fruitful. Remember this? To be fruitful and uh, to really move beyond ritual or move beyond religion, move beyond tradition, move beyond kind of uh, empty kind of ritual perhaps, begin to bear fruit uh, in our actions that reflects, again, this reality of, of Jesus' presence in the world. So today, we're thinking about this idea of being blessed. Being a blessing and being blessed as a result of that. And, and when I re- read this and when I began to think about this, I realized that being a blessing or being blessed means lots of different things to different people. For some people, it's like, you know, they win the lottery. Oh, God blessing me. Or we get lucky, you know. It's the blessing of God. And I just want to be really careful that we're not talking about being lucky here, you know, getting that certain gift under the tree. Oh, it's God's blessing on me. Or, or having things kind of go our way at Christmas time. This isn't the kind of blessing that we're talking about. What we're, we're talking about is the experience of God's blessing. This, this fullness of life that I, I think many of us have experienced it at some point. And this, this, this depth of, of, of the presence of God. The, the, the promise of his leadership and lordship in our lives when we, uh, when we align ourselves with his purposes, when we participate with God, when we are, when we are kind of walking hand in hand with God, when we are participating and being used by him, when we, I don't know, have there been moments in your life where you've just kind of sensed that you're in the flow, you're in the flow of God's movement in the world, and this is the kind of blessing that, uh, that we're talking about, participating, again, in the redemptive purposes of God in the world. We're going to look at a passage today from Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bible, turn there. Just, just start, to, start to open there. And we're going to read of John the Baptist, as we did last week. Um, we find him in this passage, though, far from where he was last Sunday. If you remember John the Baptist last week, he was just this, this you know, preacher. Repentance. Confess. And, and he was out uh, just geographically at the Jordan River, and he was just flying high. Uh, calling people to repentance. And not only was he calling them, but they were coming to him, and we made this big deal about all this happening, and speaking of pointing to this one who would come after him, the promised Messiah, who would baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, 
This is the, the high moments of John the Baptist's ministry, and today we find him in a different place, both geographically and emotionally. This week we find him in prison. He's alone, he's isolated, he's uh, perhaps fearful. He's certainly, as we'll find out, full of questions and even doubts. From the Jordan River to jail, from preacher to prisoner, here's John. Stand with me, would you? Chapter 11, we'll just read verses 2 through 11, and I'll close by just saying this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. This is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, we know that uh, we know that Christmas time is supposed to be a time that's uh, filled with joy. We sang it this morning. We lit the pink candle. Joy. Joy to the world. And this is very appropriate. This is this is part of what Christmas is all about, without a doubt. It's supposed to be a time of happiness. It's supposed to be a time of renewed hope and of growing faith. This is what Christmas is to be about. But we know from personal experience and from what we've observed in the lives of others that Christmas can also be a time of, of great discouragement and, and great disappointment. And uh, I won't, we won't have a show of hands, but I know there have been times when perhaps you've, you know, you've opened up that present under the tree, and then you open up the next one, and maybe that was all, and you, you came to the end of whatever your assortment was, and, and uh, the, the one that you had hoped was in one of those boxes wasn't, and you were just kind of left to be disappointed with the fact that you hadn't received, maybe your family didn't clue in, or, or they weren't creative enough, I'm speaking of myself in this. Sorry, honey, I'm doing my best. Um, perhaps it's that we just, uh, you know, maybe not only the particular gift, but just the uh, amount of gifts or, or, or the family type of interaction that we 
that we just hope that we'll have and we just kind of anticipate that we'll be so warm and so fuzzy and so wonderful. And even right down to the meal, I remember a few years ago, my folks were at our house and we, we had just great hopes for this day of Christmas and family and food. And my dad got up early and, and was trying to be so helpful. And you can mention this to him. I think he'll be in church next, next Sunday, actually. You can ask him about this. But trying to be helpful and just contribute to the to the family warmth and togetherness and preparing the meal. And so he I decided to peel the potatoes for the mashed potatoes and decided that evidently he had done this in other homes to put all those down the garbage disposal. Yeah, it worked so well. So about, uh, I don't know, at what point we were, we were getting every, every instrument, plumbing tool we could lay our hands on to try to clean out the the clog that had brought our kitchen production to a standstill. And uh, I just remember the look on my mom's face. You know, it, it, was, not, it, was, not, it was not a pretty thing. And, and I remind, I think, I'm, I'm just trying to remember this, but I think it's in the Christmas story, the movie, where they all end up going to the Chinese restaurant for Christmas lunch. Yeah, that was almost us that day. And uh, we almost ended up uh, just, you know, having Chinese food for, for lunch. We didn't. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's, again, that we, we just set our, our expectations so high. And perhaps some of us will feel a certain level of disappointment this Christmas, not only having to do with these Christmassy type things, but beyond that. These maybe are just a season where we're feeling more deeply, where we're, where we're just more kind of in touch or just emotional and and we may even come to a place where we're not only disappointed with our circumstances or with a situation that we find ourselves in but maybe we cross over into this place of beginning to feel a sense of disappointment with with who God is even and how God has acted or not acted in our lives. Maybe you step back and you just, I mean, if you haven't done this, I hate to create the moment for you, but maybe you step back and you look at your family and the situation, or you look at uh, the, the health issue that you're up against, or uh, the financial picture, or the challenges that you're facing at your job, or at work, or, or school, and maybe just your own personal needs and, and concerns, and you, you can't just help but wonder as you step back, God, where, where are you? Hello, hello, I'm here. Have I somehow been overlooked as God is peering down from heaven? Have I been forgotten? Has my situation flown under his radar? And no doubt, as we hear the words of John the Baptist, these were some of the questions that were being asked inside his head, in his heart, but not only inside, but with his mouth. He spoke these things. How quickly things had changed for John the Baptist, and how quickly they can change for us, right? I, here's, here's John. It had not been too long before this moment of sending his disciples to question Jesus. When Jesus himself had come to John at the Jordan River, asking to be baptized, he stood in line like everybody else and then asked John to baptize him, and John said, no, 
can't be like this. And Jesus said, no, it can be like this. Fulfill all righteousness. And, and it was in those moments when John heard the voice from heaven, this is my son, my love, with him I'm well pleased. And, and perhaps even witnessed the, the Holy Spirit descending on this Jesus as a dove and, and observed this whole situation. This was, this was the Jesus that John had announced as the Gospel of John tells us, as the Lamb of God. See, there He is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Jesus that John had stood tall and put his own life at risk in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that brood of vipers, and said that there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with fire. And with the Holy Spirit. This is the one that John had spoken of. The one who we think we've staked our lives on Jesus. And we have. But John had staked everything. I mean, his whole existence had no meaning. No purpose. At least as he understood himself. And as we understand him now. Other than to, to foretell, to speak of this one who would come after him. And now... I'm just imagining, and I'd love to have you imagine with me, this, this John in prison, peering over the wall perhaps, or through the window, or imagining whatever the situation might have been like, imagining, and hearing, we're told, hearing reports about what Jesus was doing. His teaching and his, his miracles, and this John, just in these moments, beginning to wonder. John had been all about judgment and repentance and holiness. Let's set it right. Let's, let's get this world going in the right direction. And here comes Jesus, and his, his approach is a little bit different. It's about healing and about compassion, about mercy, about love, caring for the hurting. And, and I'm sure that John would have gladly admitted that the things that Jesus were doing were good things. I mean, I don't think John would have said, yeah, that's, you know, that's not good activity. But, but I think John, without a doubt, was wondering about just the extent of that work that Jesus was doing, the magnitude of it, the, the significance of it, the rate at which it was happening. Things were not lining up. The ministry that Jesus was carrying out just didn't seem to fit the categories. And, oh, there was that one other little thing. Not only was Jesus not fitting the categories that John had preached or expected him to fit. But, by the way, he was in prison himself. And, I mean, we can't help but uh, hear John thinking thoughts like this. I mean, I know I said that he must increase and I must decrease, but this is, a little, this is taking things a little too far. I can hear John maybe thinking that he had done so much. He'd prepared the way. He'd at least played a small role in the successful run that Jesus was having. And now, now, he didn't need much, but prison, uh, a death warrant, his ultimate execution. Was this really the way that things were going to turn out? Disappointed. Confused. Ancient uh, 
and, and even some modern theologians or interpreters of Scripture don't like the fact that John apparently doubted Jesus. And they try to make all sorts of excuses for his questions. But more recent interpreters of Scripture have said, no, 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 this is how John felt. And let's be glad that he did. Let's be glad that he did, because some of us maybe have similar questions. And John asked the question that, that we all need to ask at some st stage of our life, at some moment, at some point, we all must ask the question, are you the one? Are you the one? And we must settle within our hearts that Jesus is the one. John uh, gives us permission to ask these questions. John gives us permission to wonder, even to doubt. What a wonderful lesson for us today. I know that Tom and I were actually talking about this, Tom Glass, just, I don't know, last week. I know this is a constant theme in the Monday night group and should be in all of our lives. But, but God, is, God is big enough. Jesus shows us in this interaction with John the Baptist, that he is big enough, and God is big enough to handle our questions. Big enough to handle our doubts. Big enough to handle the concerns that we have, or our lack of understanding, or our disappointment even. He's, he's more than capable, <laughs> more than strong enough to, to hear us, and to listen to us and respond to us. I just want to encourage you at this point. If there's, if there's, there's places where you're having questions, I think we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with God. Be honest and, and be able to say, this is really hard. This really doesn't make sense. This really is not computing. This really is not adding up. I don't understand. And God, what is going on? And, and as we'll see, Jesus doesn't necessarily give an answer, <laughs> but he gives a response. And I think God will be faithful to do that with each of us. We need to know that God invites us to ask and ultimately to, to settle that question of who he is. We don't have to shy away. He doesn't at all. It strikes me Jesus' response to John. John had been his biggest ally. I mean, are you with me in this story? John had been his biggest friend, his staunchest of supporters. And, and uh, I just wonder, you know, the different ways that Jesus might have responded to John's question. It seems like if it was me, and I was just thinking this week about my defensive responses sometimes to people. And, and just how quickly I, and I'll speak for at least some of you who would be willing to admit this, that how quickly when we're attacked or when we're questioned, we just retreat to defense mode. Like, oh yeah, you're going to explain, you're going to attack me? Well then, you know, let me explain myself. Let me defend the position that I have taken. Let me draw my line in the sand right here and tell you that actually you think that I'm wrong, but I'm not. And you might have questions about me, but 
they're not good ones. You're off base. And I will defend myself right now. And we were talking the, uh, just about how as soon as we begin to defend ourselves, uh, meaningful conversation and helpful communication ceases to exist. And so if Jesus would have just said, John, you guys go back and tell him. Just explain what I'm doing. Tell him to shape up. Tell him to figure, you know, read your Bible, John. I know that there's parts about judgment, but there's also parts about mercy. Just get it straight, man. What's your deal? Then would that have been encouraging to John? No. Not at all. That's one of the responses I thought that John, or that Jesus might have given. I also thought about maybe Jesus trying to convince, and this is similar, but maybe trying to convince John of the appropriateness of his actions. John, let me just tell John, let me break it down for you. Let me, let me, let me explain myself. Let me convince you of this. I, I even thought that with your staunchest of supporters, Jesus was not a politician, but we know that when, when some of our maybe deep pocket supporters in politics or, or staunch supporters complain about one direction of a politician, what do they do? They just change their direction and, and get it in line with what the supporters want of them. And, and I even thought that Jesus might have responded to John by saying, yeah, you know, you're right. This mercy stuff... What am I doing? I need to be out preaching judgment and fire. I wondered if he may have even apologized to John. Jesus didn't do any of that. His his response is so Jesus-esque, isn't it? I mean, he's... It's it's that, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar, to God what's God. It's kind of one of those types of responses where it's like, hmm... What's he saying by that? And he responds. He doesn't try to set John straight. Doesn't tell him to stop doubting. He doesn't suggest that he's anything less for having been disappointed with Jesus to this point. In fact, he suggests great understanding of John's concern. Jesus' response is a kind one. It's a gentle one. It's, It's a loving one. It speaks to how he responds to any of us when we come to him with disappointment. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. It's as if he's saying, I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to explain it. And I actually understand if it's hard for you to understand. I actually understand that this isn't fitting the categories that perhaps you had had in mind. And But this is the gist of my ministry. This is who I've come to be. This is what I've come to do. And and then he just wraps that section up. He says, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. In, In other words, blessed are you, John, if you don't just throw your faith overboard because I haven't lived up to the expectations that you had in mind for me. So I'm somebody different than who you expected me to be. Tom uh, Long says that this word of blessing is both warning and promise. It warns that the presence and activity of Christ is always 
surprising. Oh. It's always precedent-setting, agenda-shattering, and thus potentially offensive. Anyone who expects the work of God or the work of Christ's church to be safe and free of controversy simply misunderstands the nature of Christ's mission in the world. It will never be neat, never be tidy and pretty, and there will always be controversy swirling around it. However, long finishes, this is also an encouraging promise to those who remain faithful to the gospel. That even when the world is scandalized or offended by acts of mercy and peace, those who, I love the metaphor, swim past the waves of shock, slapping them in the face, will find themselves in a deep sea of blessing. John is paddling, paddling against these, these waves of shock. And he represents, of course, all of us who at some point, even maybe right now, are disappointed with Jesus. Because he's failed to meet some of our expectations. He's failed to live up to our categories. He's failed to fit into the box that we have constructed for him. And we're impatient. We want him to act more quickly. We want him to take action. We want him to come to our aid. But it says, if Jesus said to John, and he's saying through this story to us, remember, I didn't come for your safety, for your security, necessarily. I came that you might have life full of meaning and full of purpose. I didn't come that you could live happily ever after, John. <laughs> this is not a fairy tale. Our lives are not fairy tales. Jesus didn't come that we might live happily ever after it. He came that we might live in him and in his presence and in his peace. And in speaking of the activities that his ministry encompassed, Jesus was no doubt inviting John and in turn, no doubt, inviting us to participate with him in this type of ministry to the world. Not only was Jesus saying, I don't fit in your categories, he was saying, here is the category. This is who I am. And this is what I'm inviting you to be about. See, the positive way of saying that blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me is to say, blessed are those who throw their lot in with me wholeheartedly. Blessed are those who, who see the world the way I see it, who see the needs of people all around the way I see them, and who respond to them with mercy and with compassion. Those who partner with Christ in bringing compassion and care to a hurting and hopeless world. Like John, I, I'm like John. I am John in this story. I, I want to say that's all good, but the rate at which that happens and the magnitude at which that happens is not quite good enough. We need it faster and we need it bigger. And Jesus says, one at a time. 
that person, and then that person, and then that person. That's his way. Wholeness and mercy. My confidence, my experience, my hope for you and for all of us is Advent is that as we celebrate Advent by participating with Jesus, carrying out this kind of ministry that he came to accomplish, that we will enjoy a blessing that we have never known before, that we have perhaps not even known existed as we participate and align ourselves in being a blessing. God, thank you so much for your uh, provision in our lives. Thank you so much for the way that you fill us and the way that you fuel us and the way that you give of yourself to us. Thank you that even in our moments of confusion, thank you that even in our periods of disappointment and questioning, you welcome us. Thank you that you don't shun us or push us away, but you, you just, God, you just open your arms wide. And, and as Jesus would say later, even in this very same chapter, you, you say to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. God, there's, some, there's some, maybe some heavy burdened people here today who just need to, maybe reorient it. Maybe they've had their expectations set in such a way that, that, that you just haven't been coming through in the way that they've expected. And, and it's okay for us to voice that, but God, as we do, we pray that you just be gently teaching us and gently shaping us in such a way that our priorities and our interests and our passions would, would find their fit to yours. That not only would we not force you into our categories, but we would be thrilled to move into yours. God, we, uh, we want to say to you today that, that we're all in. That, that wholeheartedly, all that we have, even though we don't fully comprehend or understand, we're throwing our lot in with you and with your purposes in the world. Where there's where there's brokenness, where there's hurt, where there's pain, uh, we, we, we give ourselves now to be your instruments of mercy in that place. We give ourselves to be used by you to be a, a blessing to those around us. There, there will be moments this week where we are called upon to do this and we will remember this moment and we will draw on the strength of your Holy Spirit, and we will live into that reality. We're all in with you, oh God. And we're thankful that as we move into this place, God, the, the, the blessing, the, the sense of your peace and your presence that can fill our lives will be something that, and is becoming something that we have never known before. There there are folks here this morning who've never really had that sense, perhaps. 
But God, we're thankful that as we give ourselves to you, as we align ourselves and participate with you in what you're doing, that we can experience this to new depths even today. So shape our hearts. Move us. Compel us to be a blessing and in turn to be blessed. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.